James chapter 2. By the way, we are uh, strongly considering as a church uh, going to a movie. (laughs) I've never done this before, but uh, someone had suggested I try it. I'm like, well, you know, I'm 40. It's definitely the age to try new things, right? (laughs) Uh, Because there's not much new at 40. (laughs) And so I thought, you know, um, why don't we all go to a movie together? And so uh, I decided that uh, we'll go ahead and see uh, Night of the Living Dead together as a church. I think we'll all (laughs) enjoy it. I'm just kidding. Um, There's a movie coming out called Risen. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. That's coming out probably a month from now. And so I'm going to hopefully try to organize a night where we can go see that together. And we're going to do an evangelistic campaign this year centered around uh, that movie and that promotion. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's get to the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much this morning for everybody who's here. I pray now that as we open the Word of God, Lord, that our hearts would be open to receive and, uh, and to get what you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. One time, a few years back, uh, I was a part of a, a ministry, and I was trying to get a hold of the pastor. And I was with a buddy of mine. I'm like, you know what? I got to get a hold of the pastor. I, he's got to answer this question for us. I really, I don't feel like I can make this call on my own. So I call a pastor, and what happens when you normally call a pastor? It what? Goes to voicemail. <laughs> I have you trained well. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, goes to voicemail, right? So it went to voicemail. I'm like, ah, I, I left a voicemail. I'm like, you know what? No, I, I really, we really got to get an answer on this. So I, I call him again, and sure enough, it goes back to voicemail again. Well, my buddy is standing next to me. says, well, you know what? Pastor Jake always answers my phone calls. Let me try. So I said, okay. So he gets his phone out, and he calls, and all of a sudden I hear, Hello? Now, he answered his call right away. I had voicemail status. He had answer status. And I think to myself, what gives? So he kind of smiles. He goes, "Uh, hey, Pastor Jake, uh, uh, Tom's been trying to call you, so let me get him on the phone so he can talk to you. So I got on the phone. I'm like, hey, Jake, yeah. Called you twice. See my number pop up? Oh, really? Oh, I'm not saved in your contacts. Really feeling loved right now, Pastor Jake. <laughs> I'm running three events for you. Really feeling loved by you right now. You know, you know where you rank in life. By first of all, whether you're in someone's contacts, you know, if it just comes up some ubiquitous ab- number or you. And second of all, if they actually answer it. And so I remember kind of walking away that day going, okay, if I need to get to Jake, I got to go through Hal, you know, because... He answers how, I'm not on that level. You know, there's something about me that is not phone call worthy. I am unanswerable. And I remember kind of feeling a little slighted that morning. and Kind of feeling like, hey, wait a minute. I thought it was all equal in the church. And, uh, and that day I found out there's a big, big question surrounding favoritism and equality. Uh, if you remember from your civics class uh, in one of our special documents, we have a sentence, and it starts off like this. Let's see if you can finish. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Uh, and, of course, you know, 
That's my question that I've been wrestling with uh, this week. Are all men and created uh, women created equal? Now, I want to go through something real quick. This is a little bit of Bible school, all right? Uh, every now and then, you know, I know you love the stories. I know you love the jokes. Every now and then, I actually have a heart to teach you something about Christianity. So can we take about two minutes, and you're going to kind of get in student mode for a moment, and I'm going to teach you the doctrine of Christian equality, all right? Can we do that? I promise you I will not go any longer than your academic stamina can handle, okay? But just, just, let's just go there for a second, all right? Just some, some real teaching, all right? First of all, Christianity 101. Uh, let's go to the next slide. First of all, and these are core truths here, four core truths here, all right? Number one, all people. If you are a human, be- human being, you are a people, a person. But you make up people, right? All people are equally created in God's image. That's straight out of Genesis chapter 1. First book, first chapter. We are all created equally in God's image. Second of all, all people are equally loved by God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, all the people in the world, everybody in the world, that he gave his one and only son. Number three, all people, Romans 3.23, for all are broken, all have fallen short, all have been infected with an imperfect nature that is mortal and cannot live forever. All of us have been tainted by that sinful nature. And number four, all people, everybody, from Mother Teresa to Adolf Hitler, can be redeemed. From the last chapter of the book of the Bible, Revelation twenty two seventeen, for all who call on the name of Jesus shall be redeemed. All right? These four facts, look at them real good, they form the basis of Christian equality. All right? They are also a very good, short, succinct presentation of the Christian gospel. All right? All of these things come into play. When we become a follower of Jesus or a Christian. Jesus never uses the word some. Jesus never says you got to work harder. Jesus never says you got to get stronger. Jesus says if you're human you can spend eternity with me. And I will always take your phone call. You can see I'm over that. (laughs) But there is a sense that while we are all equal before God, we are not all equal when it comes to earth. Any reasonable person would notice that. Not all of us have the same IQ. Very much evident to a person such as myself. Uh, It is... Also true that you all don't have the same good looks. Oh, that you could be short and chubby. Have a thick neck. Man, I just, you know, you guys are missing out. I'm telling you. Sadly, you are not all knackies. I know. I know it's tough. It's rough. My kids and my wife and I, we feel for you. Uh, All things being equal, obviously they're not. We don't all have the same economic conditions. 
or the same abilities or the same opportunities. In fact, there's vast differences across the whole spectrum of humanity. And so which is it? Are we all created equal or are we not? And really the fact is, as we stand before God, we stand all equal. There is no one who stands taller at the foot of the cross. But before heaven and on earth, we are specifically created with difference, differences. Because God loves diversity, obviously. Look at all of us. We are all very, very different. Not one of us looks exactly alike. Not one of us is exactly alike. There's billions and billions of people, and they all have their own unique stamp. Before God, we all stand equal. But before heaven, and even to a degree after heaven, God rejoices in the differences that he's created us with. But the problem is us. We don't celebrate those differences as much as God celebrates those differences. In fact, we can often have a very hard time tolerating differences that annoy us, that frustrate us, that rub us the wrong way. And so Christians and Christianity, we have a real reputation out there in the outside world. I know because there was a point where I was not a Christian and I felt this way. And then obviously I am now and I want to right the wrong. There's a sense that Christians can be judgmental, hypocritical, legalistic, Pharisees. That we can show favoritism even in the church. And so I'm going to teach you this morning how to be the best Christian judger you can be. I mean, hey, if we're going to get the grief, we might as well get the gravy. Amen? And so I'm gonna, you're going to walk out of here and go, man, I can judge you even better. I can criticize you like there's no tomorrow. That is, that is what we want, right? That's what you all came here for, right? So let me teach you. Judging 101, all right? First of all, we like to look down on others that don't dress like us. Now, come on, how come all of you didn't come dressed like a mobster this morning? You know? I mean, come on. What's wrong with that? You know? People who don't look like us or don't talk like us. Oh, that's 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 like cardinal rule number one. Or assuming all people are assuming uh, assuming that all people are like some people. Oh, they're all like that. Teenagers are all like this. Women are all like that. Rich people are all like this. Poor people are all like Drug addicts are all like that, right? We can do that real well. How about this? Telling someone, you know what? You might not feel comfortable here. Yeah. You might want to find somewhere else to go. Oh, man, we got that one down good, you know? And, and, and then, you know what? I need to encourage my children not to mingle with certain groups. You know, my... Uh, my kids, well, they don't, they don't go into play with those kids, you know, those basketball players or those hockey players or those, those, those kids who play Halo. And, oh, man, you know, my, my, you know, we encourage our kids not to mingle. Or how about this? Refusing to be friends outside one's social status. You know, well, you know, as you get more money and more affluent, you kind of reach a certain status where those need to be your new friends now. And the, you know, the people you may have went to school with a long time ago, if they haven't reached that, well, they're really not a part of God's plan for you anymore. And then finally, 
telling a friend, well, I don't mind if those people come to our church. I just hope they leave their music behind. I just hope they don't play their music. Uh, those of you know here at LifePoint, we celebrate all kinds of music. One time, it was about a year and a half ago, uh, it was one of the first times we had had our bluegrass band lead worship for the weekend. And we had had a visitor. And I had the visitor card, and I called. I said, hey, you know, we just, I just wanted to thank you for coming to LifePoint and see if you had any feedback and all that. And they said, well, you know what? You know, we're just looking uh, for a real particular style of worship. You know, we want to uh, we want to make sure that, you know, we're more into the contemporary, you know, the songs that just came out this year, not 40 years ago kind of worship. And I just said, without missing a beat, I said, you know what, you probably aren't a part of our long-term vision, but I do thank you for coming. And they, I could hear the other end of the phone, like, I've never heard someone, a pastor say that to me before. Because the fact of the matter is, we don't embrace just one narrow little kind of person. We want them all. You love bluegrass? Come on out and lead worship. You love contemporary? Come on out and lead worship. You love jazz? Come on. You love rap? You cannot come in here. I'm sorry. That's where I draw the line. Rap does not belong in worship. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, we, we do this. Let's face it. We do this. Every human being does this. We judge. We size up. We assess. We evaluate. We go with one crowd and reject another. You know what Jesus would tell us? It's because we're weak, not strong. The stronger person can run in any crowd. It's the weak person that shows favoritism. And Jesus, in my opinion, was the strongest man on earth because he could hang out with the financial and religious elite and the prostitutes and tax collectors. That's strength. And so this morning we're going to talk about what James talks about. Showing favoritism. Judging and criticizing. Where Jesus says, if you want to do that, you're not becoming like me. Uh, go to James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My first point this morning is simply, that we'll go, back, go back one slide. Uh, favoritism lies to us. And blinds us, blinds us and lies to us. Check it out. James says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes... And say, here's a good seat for you. But then turn around to the dude with no money. And say, you stand over there. Or you sit down by my feet. He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves? And become judges. Judges. I like saying judges. With evil thoughts. Now, let's break it down. Why would we favor one person over another? You don't have to answer. Just think about it. Why would we favor one person over another? Why, why might I favor one person over another? Because let's face it, we think they can help us achieve our goals. We have goals in life. Maybe it's goals of financial blessing. Maybe it's goals of affirmation to not be eject, rejected. 
Maybe it's goals to run in a certain crowd or be a certain type of person. And we see a person who's like that, we begin to favor them, not because we really care about them, but because we think they can help us achieve our goals, right? Why would we favor a rich person? Why? Because, this is easy. Just say it. Because they have what? Money, right? They have money. Money can unlock all sorts of opportunities. Money can give you all kinds of freedom. And so if you can just befriend this rich guy, maybe you can tap in a little bit of that well. Maybe you get some. Why would we favor someone who's popular? Someone who's really popular. Huh? So it's right. Maybe a little bit of that affirm. You know, popular people get lots of affirmation. Lots of people say, oh, you're so pretty. You're so wonderful. You're so incredible. And we think, ah, I want that too. <laughs> I want that too. Oh, oh yes, I'm going to run with you. That's why, that's why we do this stuff. Because we think these people can help us achieve our goals. And what God is saying is, whenever you do that, you're trusting more in people to help you achieve your goals than in God helping you achieve your goals. God says, I can make you rich and popular tomorrow, but as long as you keep, still keep trusting in, in them, you're going to taint it. Because what's going to happen is once you become rich and popular, you're going to look down for the next batch to look at you more than look at God. And then we get this whole forgetfulness that it is God who grants favor and God who grants blessing. And so James is saying, these people come to church and God has blessed somebody with money or God has blessed somebody with popularity and we're looking at these people. We're looking at the effect. We didn't look at the cause. The cause was our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, as he says in verse 1. One time I was in a college group uh, in a long time ago, and, and I brought some friends from my school. And I remember some of the leaders of the college ministry saying, you know what, I don't know if they're ready for our group. I said, why? He said, look, honestly, I brought, I brought two girls. I wasn't dating them. wasn't really even friends with them. They wanted to come. I said, that's fine. I had a car. They wanted to get off campus. No problem. I brought them, and actually, I started to become friends with them, not at school, but at the church, and in the rides there and back. And, uh, and he, said, he said this. He said, you know, they're just really needy. I said, I remember thinking, my, I remember my first thought was, and isn't it great they're here? You know, isn't, isn't this, a, isn't Jesus's, one of Jesus's college groups a place for the needy? And I said, well, I remember thinking to myself, well, what's wrong with that? And they said, we're wanting to get leaders in our group because it's leaders that grow a group, not needy people. So I remember the next week, I just took off without calling them. Took off, you know, I bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. I said, all right, I'm going without them. And when I got there, there was almost this relief that these other two girls didn't come. And I'm kind of hanging out with these people, and I'm realizing a couple things. Man, they're really sarcastic. And man, you know what? They don't stop at needy people. <laughs> they have a li whole list of people they don't want to come to their college group. And as I began to learn that list, I began to think, man, if they find out I have one of the qualities that's on this list of undesirables that they don't want at the college group, they might not want me to come, so I better hide and make sure they never know 
bet I'm like this. I think it was liking a particular sort of music or something stupid like that. And so I went a few weeks like that. And finally, the sarcasm, the criticism, the pride, it just sucked me dry. And I went to the pastor. I, I said, you know what? I feel dead in this group, and I am not growing. And I just feel like, I feel like it was when I was before a Christian. I'm trying to, you know, get the whole popularity thing going again. And he said, you know what? We're having a problem with that group right now. Why don't you join the worship team? I'd never played an instrument in my life. I was 19 years old. I joined the worship team. The worship pastor says, can you play anything? I said, no. I know. I know how this church works. If you don't got the goods, you can't join. He says, oh, don't worry. I'll teach you. I was 21 years old. He sat down on a piano. He said, I'm going to teach you how to play the piano so that you can play in worship. His acceptance, not showing favoritism to somebody who already knew how to play the piano, but showing favoritism to somebody who was hungry to learn, has given me a gift to come in here when all of you are gone, to turn the lights down low and to play and sing and weep out my struggles before the Lord. And uh, believe you me, I have some struggles. One act of acceptance, one act of rejection. Which one has changed my life for the good? Acceptance. First Samuel 16, 7. Samuel's a prophet in the Old Testament. And God says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. You're going to anoint the next king of Israel. That's a big job. That's a big job. The next king, that's a big job. So Samuel goes, and he sees the older sons of Jesse. Oh, man, they looked the part, you know? They were dressed well. They were bathed. They had those little manicured beards with a little, you know, little, coming to a little point like that, you know? They looked like the Burger King guy, you know? Perfect, perfect. And Samuel's like, okay, Lord, it's going to be one of them. Who is it? Uh, and God says, nope, it's not them. What? What? Ah, I must have had too much tahita. Okay, let's try this again. Lord, which one of them is it? Uh, nope, it's not them. And Samuel's going, what in the world are you talking about, God? And God says, the one who's to be king isn't here right now. He's off dirty and stinky and smelly guarding the sheep. So he says, Jesse, send me all your sons. I know it's going to be one of them. He says, well, there's one out back, but trust me, this guy's a runt of the litter. You know who I am. He says, I will not sit or eat or celebrate another minute until he's here in front of me. And David walks up, and Samuel anoints David and says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And what does God say to Samuel? Men and women, we look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. And he calls us to be people who do the same. Too often, we try to get people to fit into our mold. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we, 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 you know, I remember when I married my wife. She was a fine woman. Beautiful. But early on, I began to see some things that didn't line up. And I thought, what greater gift could I give my wife than to make her more like me? <laughs> and so, 
And so I began to teach her things. You know, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. This is how you speak in the presence of these people. This is how, you know, and she did not like it. We had some, I think it's probably the second thing I've done wrong in the whole marriage. And, 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 uh, and, I, and I began to, re- it left me frustrated that I could not make her more like me. And she began to say, you do realize you're not perfect. If you make me like you, you're just taking one perfect, imperfect person and making them another imperfect person. Ah, maybe that's why Jesus said we should become more like him because he actually is Perfect. Commit that one to memory. Number two, none of us qualify as stone throwers. I like uh, what James says in verse 8. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scriptures. By the way, the, the royal law is, well, here he gives it to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's also love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism... You sin and are convicted by the law's lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you commit adultery but do not murder, you have become a lawbreaker. He's saying if you show favoritism and criticize but don't commit adultery, you're still a lawbreaker. It still equals itself out now i remember the story remember the story in john chapter 8 uh jesus was you know doing some ministry and the leaders of the jewish faith brought him a woman caught in adultery you remember what jesus's famous line was he who is without sin cast the first stone and beginning with the older ones the old men one by one, they began to drop the stone. Now, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, if I told you, hey, I got a list of addresses of the people in our church, and I'm going to be going around peeping through the windows, seeing what you do at your home. That's my job. That's what you guys want me to do. And then, if I find you watching a scene in a movie that has nudity, I'm going to take a snapshot on my iPhone and drag you in front of the church and show everything and then say, uh. Would all of you say, wow, Pastor Tom really executed his duties as our pastor that week? No. You'd say, well, Tom, what about the hurting? What about the loss? We, we, we thought you were taking care of those. What about the people who needed prayer or the ones who were hungry? Approving the benevolence requests and uh, looking over, you know, the younger pastors in our church and investing in them. You spent your week digging up dirt when we're hoping that you're helping the broken, helping the needy. But this is what the Jewish leaders did. They abandoned their duties in serving the people. And they became busybodies, kicking up dirt because they wanted to trap Jesus. See, this isn't just for people who attend church by any means. This is for people who lead in ministries. 
we can very quickly turn into dirt seekers rather than love givers. And Jesus said, all right, he was without sin. Cast the first stone. Number three, everyone who belongs to Jesus belongs to us. Verse 12, he says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Jesus was no front runner. He felt at home with the rich and poor alike. He ministered with the professionals as well as with the prostitutes and the drunkards. And Jesus would say, hey, everyone who belongs to me belongs to all of you. They're yours. They're your brothers. They're your sisters. They're your family. Shame on you for judging, showing favoritism, being critical. That's not the people I'm trying to build. Those people are already all over the planet trying to build a different kind of people. That in here, you will be loved, accepted, and forgiven. I don't care how many tattoos you got or where they are. I don't care how much debt you're swimming through or how many red cards you got in your past. You're human. And if you belong to Jesus, you belong to me. And I take that very seriously. And then finally, number four, in Christ, mercy triumphs over judgment. James says in verse 13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's good news and there's bad news in these verses. The good news is, if you're the kind of person that gives and shows mercy, you'll receive mercy. How many of you want mercy? Oh man, I'll have two hands up. The bad news is, those of you who judge or show favoritism without mercy will also be judged without mercy. God will love you. God will bless you. God will forgive you. God will warn you. But pick on people's differences and God will judge you. That's what James is saying. We discover the whole gospel in that one phrase. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, during my years as a pastor, They've been, this year will be 17. <clears throat> Over the years, I've always had people say, hey, Tom, I want you to meet this guy. He owns such and such a business. Hey, Tom, I want you to meet this guy. You know, he is the, you know, board of, suit, board of directors for this county or this state or the whatever, you know. Tom, we want you to meet this lady. You know, she inherited, she's the heir to this or that, you know. You know what, that doesn't bother me. I don't mind. As long as we equal it out with, with, uh, with, hey, Tom, two prostitutes off Union Avenue, they came in to church, they want Jesus. Hey, Tom, someone who has AIDS came in, they want to receive Christ before they die. Hey, Tom, two men that just got out of jail, they came into church today, they want to talk to you. How do we lose that? How do we come so far away from that? And how do we get back? This morning, 
I invite you to make Jesus' people your people. This isn't a sermon against the rich by any means. It's a sermon to balance out that we don't favor any people more and by doing so subject some people to less. Because if they belong to Jesus, they belong to us. They belong to you. They belong to me. The question I leave you with is, do you belong to Jesus? If you do, then Jesus' people belong to you. If you don't, then I invite you to make that step this morning. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. Before we close, I want to end with a very simple invitation, yet powerful. We're not born into Christianity. It's not a birthright. You can't become a Christian as a baby. At some point as you grow up, the Holy Spirit softens your heart. Maybe you come into a church like this. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's with a coworker. Maybe it's watching somebody on the TV. Happens in different ways for many people, but it has to happen at some point where we open our heart, receive the Holy Spirit, and make that choice to belong to Jesus. And when we do, all that belongs to Jesus, including the people, becomes ours as well. And so if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. I'd like to make a simple invitation that whether it's for the first time or whether this morning you're like, you know what, I need to, I need to, I've, I've gotten away, I've gotten distant. I need to recommit my life and my heart to the strongest man in the universe, Jesus, and make him my Lord and Savior. If that's your intention this morning, please just look up at me right now and make eye contact. Amen. 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 Oh, man, so many of you smiling as you're doing. I love it. Why don't we say this together? Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me afresh. I make you my Lord. I make you my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. All that is yours is mine. Your people, my people, in Jesus' name, amen.